Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness 
and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head and the and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Well, last week we began considering the writings of Daniel, the life of Daniel. Um, And as we went into it, I said there was going to be three themes that are going to be recurring as we consider, consider the book. And that is the impact of his God, Daniel's God, that's Yahweh, the impact of his life, and then the impact of his writing. And last week, as we began looking at this, we saw instantly how we, we are confronted with the impact of Daniel's life. As Daniel is taken as a slave, along with three other that we know of, probably more than that, but three other that were told of, Jewish young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, right? And they're, taking, they're taken by the Chaldeans from their home in Jerusalem as slaves, to Babylon, to become the servants of the most powerful man on the earth. As we go into today, we're going to see a lot how there's a lot of parallelism in the life of Daniel, in the life of Joseph, um, at least in this situation. Uh, Joseph wasn't taken as a slave by the Egyptians and brought back into in, in De Cairo or in Memphis or wherever, but rather he was sold by his brothers. But he goes off as a slave, as a servant, into another land. He then takes another route to becoming before Pharaoh, but he has the opportunity to ascend in prominence before that world leader, the world leader of the time, through the interpretations of dreams. And so God is going to use this man, Joseph, this young man, Joseph. And I don't want to, again, neglect that. By the time Joseph comes before Pharaoh, he's 30 years old. He's had a lot more seasoning to him. 
this is still within, as we're going to see, and you hopefully read there in verse 1. This is still within. This is all happening within the time period of his training. So if he is 17 to 20, 16 to 19, 17 to 20 years old, when he's taken to Babylon, what I say, Joseph? Daniel. Daniel. If Daniel is in that 16 to 19, 17 to 20 range, okay, he's still in that range when this event happens. There's a lot of debate as far as... Um, how this can happen during his training period, I don't, I'm not going to give you an answer on that, okay? Other than I know exactly what the scriptures say, and I'm not going to try to jerry-rig the, the timing of it so that it fits what I think better. Make sense? So um, we're told in chapter 1 that um, in the, the third year, the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to J- Jerusalem, right? So, so I know some, some timetables that are here. Um, in fact... I meant to put those up on the screen, and I didn't. Jeremiah 25, verse 1, tells me that the word, came, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so in other words, there's a, an equation made for me there, okay? So um, according to Daniel's writings and to the kings, the third year of Jehoiakim was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a possibility that Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem still as the king apparent. Make sense? And so, worst case scenario, we're going to go with Jeremiah, right? And we say, so the fourth year of Jehoiakim is the first year of, of Nebuchadnezzar. But if, if that all happens, then the second year is what we're told here in Daniel. It's the second year of um, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, chapter 2, verse 1. That means it's still within that, that, that training period, okay? Or right at the end of the training period. Maybe this has to deal with the end of chapter 1, where when um, they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar, they're found to be ten times wiser than all the other, the wise men in, in the land. I don't know. I can't answer that. Other than I'm going I'm to address it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm not sweeping it under the rug. This is how it plays out. And so I take this as part of his training period, okay, which comes into a, an issue where we're going to have at the very end of this message, okay, and that is when he's promoted, right? Um, but I think all those things are still could fit together, um, and I just don't necessarily have the the path for you in that. I don't worry about it. God's word declares it. I what? I believe it. Okay. So, um, but what I'm impressed with in all this, okay, and you know with our memory verse, right? Okay. So memory verse is from Daniel chapter four, right? And 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 whose 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 statement is it? Whose testimony? Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. So for those listening to the message um, right now on YouTube or on a on a, a audio later on, right? They they don't do our memory verse, right? So I'm not going to ask you to come up Anna, and play it for us so we can sing it for them. But but I challenge to go back and look at it, right. I thought it good to declare to you what the signs and wonders that the Most High God worked for. Me, okay? This is coming from a pagan. A guy who was, in, at the very moment, was the most powerful man on the earth. How did he come from this pagan place to just a few years later declaring that Yahweh was the most high God? Amazing. I mean, this is a huge statement. Okay, because his name Nebuchadnezzar is built upon the fact of, of the names of his gods. Okay, and and Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, and Hananiah um, were all given Chaldean Babylonian god names, and now here is the leader of the Chaldeans, the leader of the Babylonians. Chapter four, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, right? Declaring 
that Yahweh is the most high God. How does it come to be that way? Because of one young man who was willing to purpose in his heart that he would not defile God and then became an influence upon his friends. Now, we'll talk about them in two weeks when they get to go before the fiery furnace. We'll talk about them a little bit today as well. But I think the impact of them comes from Daniel, that Daniel has made the decision to purpose in his heart, and he influences these three friends. And these three friends see the mighty God, the the God most high work in the life of this guy who believes by faith. And they're willing to take the next step to trust in this God who does the, the beyond possible things. Those are called miraculous. But my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ever could ask or think. Is yours God able to do that? I hope so, because if your God's the same God as mine, he's able to do that. And with God, there is nothing that is what? Impossible. Do you believe that? That's really where the core of faith comes from. I mean, that's, that's what chapter 11 of Hebrews is all about. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. They were looking forward to another city, another country. They did all these things. And that's what we're going to see in the life of this young man named Daniel. And so today we then transition into this time of his impact upon Nebuchadnezzar. But we begin the story, we begin the account with the turbulence of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had some what? Had some dreams. And it what? It gave him a whole lot of consternation. It troubled him. Now, you have dreams. I had multiple dreams last night. Okay, I don't remember any of them right now. It's kind of funny. Um, I remember the one I had the other night, just slightly. I don't know what caused it, but I know I woke up kicking at, I don't know if it was a big rat or a dog or whatever it was, and when I opened up a door and it was trying to get in, and I was trying to kick it. I told Marcia the next day, I said, you're glad I was turned the other way, because you'd have a lot of bruises on you right now. Okay, I mean, I was emphatically kicking. But I didn't wake up thinking to myself, what? I need to find out if this has something to do with the Philistines and the, and the, and the tumors and, 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 and the Ark of the Covenant and all that kind of stuff. I didn't wake up thinking, whoa, God gave me a dream. This had something to do with where the United States going. And No, I didn't, it just didn't happen that way. I had a dream, you know, that, well, it was pepperoni pizza. No, I, anyways, whatever. But, but I knew it was just a dream. Does it make sense? There are other times, though, when... I've had a dream or two, okay? And there's one, as David, you shared in your testimony time, things that God has taught you in the past, right? I remember a time I had a dream, previous church, and I remember that it was bigger than this. It seated 240, and, and when Brian and Tammy got married, that church that seated 240, we had 350 in it, I think. Anyways, we didn't invite, we didn't invite the fire marshal. And, um, yeah. Anyways, and so, um, but I had a dream while I was in there, in. Um, in that dream, while I was dreaming, I was trying to teach God's word in an individual, and I won't describe the individual because some will probably start taking guesses. But anyways, I had an individual that got up, and yes, in my dream, I knew who that individual was. Got up and went and sat in the choir behind me, the choir loft behind me. They had a choir, we had a choir loft. They sat in the choir loft behind me, and it just kind of boggled my brain. And then somebody else got up, and somebody else got up, and somebody else got up, you know? And all of a sudden, I, I found myself being distracted because I had these people in the choir loft. And, and so I, I wound up getting up, and there was only a little handrail kind of thing, but so in my dream, it became a little bigger so I could get on it. I was younger, and I was more agile. I probably could do that. Anyways, and so I got up in this thing, and I'm, and I'm saying, hey, I'm preaching here. Pay attention, you know? And I'm trying to teach you guys. And God distinctly in that moment, in that dream, said, turn around. 
turn around. And I turned around, there were about a dozen people sitting in the pew. He said, teach them. Teach them. I'll never forget it. My job is not to make you listen. You can lead a horse to water, but what? You can't make him drink. My job is to teach God's word and to teach the ones who want to listen. And I don't know who you are today, but I've never forgotten that dream. Now, don't write it in your Bible. Does it make sense? That was for Bob. Okay, Bob's had other day visions and that kind of stuff that I've shared in the past. But that one's never left me as well. Okay? My job is to teach those who want to learn. Marcia said that so much when I was teaching at a, at a, um, a local academy. I taught pre-calculus and I taught geometry. I hated my geometry class. Hated, hated, hated my geometry class. Okay? No, no, I love geometry. You, you know, don't say it that way. I love geometry. I hated teaching that class. I loved my pre-calculus class. The difference was, Marsh, what? The ones who took pre-calculus were there because they wanted to learn. The ones in geometry had to take it, and they didn't want to learn. I hated it. Hated it. I loved my pre They would come for extra tutoring. I could, I could do all this kind of stuff. I didn't get paid for the extra tutoring. I just loved to teach. They loved to learn. It was a great experience. Do you get it? Okay? So, so God works through dreams for, for different individuals for different reasons. Okay? And so God gave this world leader... Dreams, plural, okay? Now, I don't know if this happened multiple, multiple times like it was for Pharaoh, okay, in different ways. I just know that it's the plural here, okay? Maybe it's just an emphatic that he was dreaming, okay? But he had this dream, and it bring him great consternation. Now, so what did he do? Well, he brought in his counselors. I want to do this real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But you read in here four groupings, okay? And I want to submit to you there's really just three um, groupings. There's the magicians, okay? They're the cartoons, okay? And you can see that it's only used of Egypt and Babylon, okay? And there's all the references there of where it's used um, in the Bible, okay? So when Moses goes before Pharaoh, there, there are the cartoons, okay? I went to Khartoum. Um, uh, Khartoum is the capital of Sudan, um, which I really think is based upon this as well, but they, they take it from another language and they try to say something else but i i think it probably came from the fact that they were magicians okay anyways but they're cartoon okay um there are then the astrologers and sorcerers and you can see the astrologers are the ashaf and the um the sorcerers are the kashaf okay and so i think that the sorcerers are just an intensification of the the um the astrologers okay so they're they're doing things through sorcery, okay? They may be looking at stars. They may be looking at, uh, like, necromancy kind of stuff. You know, how they look at um, the blood and all that kind of stuff, and they try to derive things. You've read books, and you've seen that stuff that's there, okay? And so th- these are these guys. They're, they're, they're looking at trying to get information and discerning uh, the future and, and information based upon um, uh, just other methods, okay? The, the, the other group that's there are called the Chaldeans. Okay, he says the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, okay, you need to understand every time that this word is used, Kazdim, it's talking about a group of people, a, a, a physical group of people, a, uh, a, the people who lived in a certain area. So, for example, as you were in Sunday school, I shared this uh, briefly, but, but Avram, who became Abraham, who is the father of the Israelite people, the first Eberite, Hebrew, came from where? Ur of the... Chaldees. So the reality is that the origin of the Jewish people, the origin of the Hebraic people, is from the Chaldeans. 
Okay, they were originally Chaldean. Okay, they were Shemites. They were all Shemites. So remember, coming off the ark, you had um, Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Okay, the Hamites were sent into the, the land of Canaan. Okay, and they 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 dwelt in the land of Canaan, but the Shemites were from the east. So Brian, not picking on you, Brian, but from as the Oriental side, he's closer to the Jews originally than Europeans are. The Europeans are Japhethites. Okay. But, um, but the, the Chinese and stuff like that, the men of the Orient, are Shemites. And so, so from the Orient side, they're actually closer to the Israelis from that perspective because that's from the Shemitic side. So God sent a Shemite, okay, a, a Chaldean, if you would, by the name of Ram, from the land of Ur, the Chaldees, in, back into the land of the Hamites. Kind of fun stuff, okay? Anyways, but all this part is the Chaldeans then are not a mystical group. They are the, the, the ones from where Babylon comes. Babylon was a city. It became the, the kingdom of the Chaldeans. It became the, the principal place of the Chaldeans. Okay? So Nebuchadnezzar is a Chaldean who's reigning in Babylon. But because Babylon became so great, it became known as the Babylonians. Does that make sense? So there is a, a sense where Babylonian and Chaldeans are, have, are synonymous. However... There is, though, a sense where a Chaldean is a real, you know how you say it, he's a real American. He's a real Chaldean. So there's a part where, uh, when you talk about the Chaldeans, they had special privileges. So you think of Paul talking to the, the, the Roman um, uh, guard, well, not the guard, uh, centurion yeah in jerusalem when he says and he says you're going to strike a, a roman citizen he says whoa he says it was a lot of money i had to buy my citizenship and paul said what i was born one ah i'm and the guy quaked because he wasn't someone who bought his citizenship he was born a roman there was a distinction these are the chaldeans so the ones who had real wisdom were what Chaldeans. Now, you'll note that as, we, as you go through chapter 2 here, the word Chaldean goes away, okay, as you come down, and all of a sudden it's replaced with, then, the wise men of Babylon, okay? So as it comes down, the ones who are going to be destroyed are the wise men of Babylon, okay? So there's a, this combination that's going on here, okay? So I want you to understand that, what's going on here. So you have the sorcerers, if you would. I'm going to take the word sorcerer, and I'm going to put it all for magician, astrologer, sorcerers, okay? They're all one and the same. They're all the magicians. They're all the magi. Ooh, does that word sound familiar to you? Daniel was a magi. Isn't that kind of fun? So I want you to think about that as hundreds of years later, there are um, a group of magi who come from the east, who come from potentially the Chaldees, to worship he who was born king of the, the Jews. That's kind of fun stuff. We're not going to go there today. Okay? So anyways, it's just counselors. So he brings the counselors in, right? And he gives them this demand, right? You need to tell me, the requirement, right? You need to tell me, not just the interpretation of my dream, because I had a dream, and it's really bothering me, but I don't think you guys really know what you're doing. I think you've been conning me all these years, and you've been conning my dad, remember, because he's new to this kingdom, and so he's, he's kind of been watching this play out, and he, he, he kind of, 
I don't know. We're not told why. But he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't trust these guys. Maybe God is working in him in some way that he doesn't trust him. I don't know. But for some reason, he doesn't trust these guys. And he says, so I think you're a bunch of bunk. But here's the deal. I got these dreams that are bothering me. And to prove that you know what you're doing, I don't want you just to tell me the interpretation. I want you to tell me my dream. And he says, oh, King, live forever. Tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. That's kind of, isn't that how the, the, it works in politics? I don't know if you got to listen to the Supreme Court testimony on Friday for the different cases that were going on. I listened to the second one. It was real, I, I enjoy listening to the argumentations from both sides. It's, it's really kind of interesting to listen to the, the, the logic and how it plays out. But I, what, I also, what I find out in all the times is a Supreme Court justice can ask then somebody a specific question, and they totally ignore the question okay, and, and, and give something else what they want. And so finally... I think, I don't know if it was Roberts or Scalia or whoever it was. Well, can you finally answer the question they asked you? <laughs> and that's what's playing out here. Nebuchadnezzar says, give me the dream and the interpretation. They, oh, king live forever. Give us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And he does it again. And he do it again. And he do it again. And finally, they come back with a response. There's not a man on earth who can do that. There is not no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Remember that. Because we're going to get into not the impact of a man, but we're going to be talking about the impact of his God in the life of a man who is consecrated to his use. There's not a man on earth who could do that. The only one who could do that would be a God. And their dwelling is not with in the flesh. Isn't that kind of cool when Yahweh came and dwelt in flesh? How cool is that? But they're going to do something. God's going to do something. Yahweh's going to do something that's going to blow the socks off of every single one of these sorcerers. Because they already gave testimony. They bore testimony twice. Themselves. That was impossibility. Impossibility for any human to do it apart from the intervention of they say the gods but we understand true God. And we, again, see the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar after certain events that it's the Most High God and he understands who it is, right? So his demand, his decree. Well, here it is, guys. You can't do this. Here's what's your, the option. If you don't do this, I'm going to destroy you. I, I'm just going to lay waste to you, your family, your house, everything. You're going to be destroyed, right? And so they, they, they can't do it. So what happens? He issues the decree. And so, destruction begins to happen. Enter Daniel. Because Arioch now, um, is the one who's tasked with going out and killing. Would you like to be Arioch's job? You know? I, I probably, he probably has the job, though, for a reason. <laughs> you get, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and so... Um, he's going out and he's doing his job. Now, I want you to think about this. This guy is already killing people, families, laying waste. But now they come, they're looking for those Jewish boys. Think for a moment, why weren't they there the first time? Well, we already talked about that in the very beginning. Because this is happening when? During the training period. There's no reason for them to call them. These guys are only in training. What do they know? He went for the big guys. He brought in his senior advisors. Think about it. 
If, the, if President Biden wants something, he's going to talk to his cabinet members. He's not going to bring in the entire Justice Department. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people are in the Justice Department. He doesn't bring them all in. He's only bringing in the head justice or maybe even a couple of his assistants. Does it make sense? That's what's kind of playing out. However, when the heads begin to roll, everybody's head begins to roll. Right? And so Ariok comes, and he finds Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right? And so, and Daniel says to him, Ariok, what? what?" And they must know each other in some manner. Must have run into each other. What's happening? Why is this going on? What is the urgency about this? So Ariok, what? He tells him. But we're told then Daniel with what? Counsel and wisdom answered Arioch. But note the last part that's in purple. So Daniel went where? Where did he go? He went into the king. Arioch didn't go to the king. But again, it's kind of like when Daniel was with Ashpenaz and with um, the, the man who was placed, I'm forgetting his name if it's there, who was placed over them as far as when he asked to only eat the vegetables for 10 days, right? They said, well, you don't get it. That's my job. It's my head. I'm going to be killed for this. And he said, well, just give us 10 days. See how it works out. So Arioch has been given the decree, the command from who? Nebuchadnezzar. To do what? Kill all those guys. Kill them all. Kill them all. And now Arioch is going to have to do what? Now we read the second time when Arioch takes him in and says, I got this guy who's able to give you the, uh, the, the, the dream, right? But first there had to be a stay of the decree. So Arioch goes before Nebuchadnezzar and says, Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> I got this guy named uh, Belshazzar. He used to be Daniel. You know, he's one of those Jews that we brought over. And uh, he'd, he'd like to, to talk to you about this decree that, of yours. Think about the, the boldness. Think about the confidence of Daniel to ask to go before the king. I don't know if he's ever been before the king before. Say again, Mark. Why didn't the others do that? You mean Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Well, they did. So, the, well, oh, oh, all the other trainees. Yeah, I don't know. They're like lambs, right? But the, 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 the big guys, they're all there, right? And they've had their chance. They can't do it, okay? So they've said, what? No one can do this. And so there they are. They're just being slain. But Daniel says, wait a second, king. Wait, 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 king. You haven't given us a chance. We're just finding out about this when we're getting ready to die. And do you remember last week when I, I shared about the story about the, the couple that I met with, and I said, are you willing to give God two weeks? And Daniel said, can we give God ten days? Now he's basically saying what? Can you give God 24 hours? Can, can you give us a stay? Can you, can, can you put off our death penalty for another day? Now, I know it doesn't specifically state how much time, Okay. The, the, the king's decree was given with great urgency. They're already killing everybody. Do you understand? And so if they're able to do it, think about it. If they're able to do it, they better be able to do it what? Quickly. 
Okay, so I don't know how that conversation goes. We're not told, other than we're told that he, he goes in before the king, and then all of a sudden he has a night. But Daniel didn't have anything to lose. But Daniel didn't have anything to lose. No, no, he didn't. But he had great confidence that Yahweh could do beyond what any other god could do, because he was the one and only true god, right? So his petition to Arioch, but then we get his supplication to Yahweh. Again, a display of this great confidence. Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 8 says, and you guys know it, right? Trust in the Lord with, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh, depart from evil, right? The word trust is the word patach in the, in the Hebrew. And that's what we're looking at right here, is that Daniel patach, if you would be bringing the, D from English over into it, okay? He betalked Yahweh. He had great trust that Yahweh would be faithful, would be true to his chesed, true to his emet emuna, his faithfulness, and he would deliver them. Daniel 2, verses 14 to 16. Oh, I hit the wrong button. I thought there was more. Proverbs 16, verse 20, 21. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever patoks, trusts in Yahweh, happy is he. Wise in his heart will be called prudent. The wise in heart will be called prudent. Proverbs 28, verses 25 and 26. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. I want you to remember this one again later, okay? But talking about the pride. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who patoks in Yahweh will be prospered. He who trusts Patox in his own heart is a what? Is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. So Daniel was walking in great wisdom, we're told, right? And he sought then, in his great wisdom, he sought whose counsel? God's, Yahweh's counsel. And he betalked, he trusted in Yahweh's counsel. So Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a sneer, but whoever trusts Patox in Yahweh shall be safe. Now, the reality is, so I'm sharing all these things because I think that Daniel probably knew these verses. Do you understand? And he's having the opportunity to what? Live it. Say it again. Put him into practice. Put him into practice. He's going to live it. How many verses do you know that you can quote to me that's still hard for you to put into practice when the going gets rough? Let me start with one. There is no temptation, troublesome situation that is overtaking you, but what? Oh, most of you knew that. But such is common to man. But God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be tempted, troubled, tried, beyond what you're able to bear. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape. Do you believe that or not? So when these troublesome situations come upon you, now Daniel didn't even have that verse. He didn't have that verse. But when we, we come into these moments, we have these promises from God. Now, I can go, though, and I can say the other side of the story, okay? And, and we can go to Fox's Book of Martyrs, and, and I, can, I can read you countless stories of when God didn't deliver his children from the lion. When God didn't deliver his children from the fire. When God didn't deliver his children from the hand of the emperor. Those are each three things that we're going to look at over the next four weeks, isn't it? But Christians have been slain. 
Christians have been torched. Christians have been eaten by lions. Where was God? Are these verses we just read true? Of course they're true. Where is my ultimate deliverance? Heaven. That's exactly right. And then we're going to see that in two weeks from now, Lord willing, when we talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Mishael, Azariah, Hananiah, right? As they, they stand before this king, and they say, you can do what you want with us, O king, but just so you know, we're not bound down to your, your, your idol. And they get thrown in the, the furnace. We don't know whether God's going to deliver us. He has the power to, but he may not. Does that make sense? Daniel doesn't know at this moment whether God's going to give him the, the dream. But he knows that he can. He knows that he can. And that, yes, he has the privilege to ask. How cool is that? He's not going to the high priest. He's talking to God on his own. This is a personal relationship. And he's asking God to do for him and his friends something that is so beyond what is potentially possible. Eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who wait on him. We look at that as heaven. But I think that that happens even today. That God has things that knock our socks off if we would just believe that it's going to happen. We'll talk about that right now. Because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, um, this, the 13. Do I have those here? I don't have them here. Let's turn there. Let's go to Matthew. And remind me why I put these ones here. They're all from Matthew, though. These are all verses having to do with, with faith. I think this first one has to do with the centur- Roman centurion. Yeah, okay? 5 to 13. This is, has to deal with, I'm not going to read each one of these passages, but just to go and we can, because you, you'll remember it. So, Jesus is in Caesarea, um, I'm sorry, Capernaum, right? And so the, the Roman centurion sends to him, asking him to heal his servant. Jesus then begins to go to this Gentile's house, right? It's an amazing thing. But the centurion says, you don't need to what? You don't need to come to my house. Just say the word, and I know that it will be done for you. I, too, am a man under authority. I say to the one, go, and he goes. I say to the one, come, and he comes. You say the word, and I know it's going to happen. At that very moment, his servant was healed. Why? Because Jesus said to everyone, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Based upon the centurion's faith, Jesus did the act. He did something that was beyond everybody's mind. But isn't it interesting that it was a Roman centurion who by faith believed that he could do it? Drop down to verse 23. This is the wind and the waves obeying Jesus. He gets under the boat. They wake him up and says, you know, Lord, we're, we're, we're going to die. And, he, and he's, he looks at the winds and the waves and he says, calm and be still. And that happens, right? And, and they're looking at him. Verse 26, he says, but he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little what? Faith. You knew. You should have known already. That I had the power to do this. Why were you anxious? Why were you worried? I'm in the boat. If Jesus is in your boat, what can touch you? Only what he allows. Only what he allows. 
You get it? Matthew 9, verse 18, verse 26. Oh, yeah, multiple, okay? Multiple in this passage. So he's, he's going on, and here comes Jairus, right? Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. And, and, he, and, he, and he kneels down before Jesus and says, you need to come. My daughter is what? My daughter's dying, right? And so he instantly decides to go with the ruler of the synagogue. This is kind of cool because they, they've not been the ones who have been uh, being kind to him, right? But on the way to Jairus' house, okay, and I'm blending together Matthew with Luke, and you can go to the other passages and bring it in. On the way to Jairus' house, what happens? Anybody remember? Well, he told the daughter has died, but before that, what happens just before that, bringing in Luke? The woman touches him, okay? There's a woman who has a flow of blood for 12 years, hasn't been able to be cured, spent all of her money with the doctors, all the physicians, has not a penny left. She says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know he can heal me, right? So she breaks her way through, she touches the hem of the garment, she's instantly healed, she knows it, Jesus knows it. Jesus said, who touched me? Peter and the disciple look at me. Oh, Lord, you're being thronged all around you. I mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Oh, no. Wait, wait. You don't get it. Somebody purposely touched me. Who touched me? The girl knew. The woman knew. She was had, right? And he said, daughter, your faith has, not, not sin, this faith, your faith has healed you, right? And then's when the servants of Jairus come, right? And Because Jairus is probably going, oh, great, power's gone out. <laughs> oh, man, the well is dry. We're in trouble, you know? Anyway, I love, the, I love this. That, that I mean, just, I just can't imagine. You're talking about the, the look of people. Anyways, and so, and, and so the servants come, ah, oh, don't bother him anymore. Your little girl's dead. And he's saying, I know it. I know it. But Jesus looks to him and says, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. And so they go to his house. And he raises the little girl from the dead. But again, only what? Believe. Matthew 9, verse uh, 27, 31. Uh, two, two blind men, when Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and he said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be so to you. Matthew 17 is the final one that we're going to look at. And you know that I could go to like myriad of passages here, right? But Matthew 17, verses 14 to 21, is the, is the passage where uh, Jesus had been up on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He comes down. His disciples are ready to be stoned, okay? Because they were down there, and a, and a man brought his son, who was demon-possessed, right? He's thrashing them in every place, and he brought them to be healed. And they're not able to do anything. Nothing. Zippo. They're going to be found to be false prophets. Okay, that's what's happening. Okay, there's this 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 motley crew going on. You got to think Jewish in this moment. Okay, Jesus comes out. So what's going on? And so they tell him, and he turns and he says, "How long must I deal with this faithless generation?" And he says, "Do you believe?" And oh, the father said, "If you can do anything, heal him." He says, "It's not if I can do anything. It's only if you have faith." 
if you believe? And the father replies, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. At that moment, Jesus heals him. Later, they have the conversation with the disciples. Why can't we do this? He says, this kind only comes by prayer and fasting. He called them faithless. And then he gives them the illustration that you have faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea and it will be done for you. What's the point? If you want to see the miracles of God, you've got to believe he'll do them. If you don't believe, then it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I, I, I mean, I have had these conversations with people of our stripe, okay, who at some point they think, oh, I'm, a, I'm a semi-charismatic or I must be semi-this or whatever, you know, and, and whatever. But I believe God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I ever asked or think, and I can think, he, I believe, I know he can do it in my life. I prayed one Wednesday morning. I, I know what day it was. I used to, so, some of you guys get my, my text with my, my, my quiet time notes. I used to, I have a bunch of sheets. My kids can tell you about it. I've got stacks of this, okay? So I used to do it in a half binder, okay? And I, I write my observations and my applications and then my prayer response. I've been doing it for years, years. Okay, and my prayer response. So it was one Wednesday morning. My prayer response. It was while we were planting this church, and I'm working five jobs. Okay, and and, and I had a 15 passenger van and all this kind of stuff. God, that's another thing. How God provided me that. Anyways, but I just needed more time to study and more time to minister as the church began to grow. I needed more time, and I didn't know where to get the time because I had to work. And so I, in my prayer, literally, I said, "Lord, I need more time for ministry. I don't know how. I, I, I but I need money to pay my bills." That day at lunch, I had a $6,000 check in my mailbox. It was from overseas. And so I've written that kind of check before. Not that much. But I wrote the balance of my checkbook rather than what the bill was. And fortunately, the garbage company called and talked to my wife and said, did your husband really mean to pay us this much? (laughs) No, no, we'd have garbage for life. No extra, we didn't have any food, but we'd have garbage for life. Anyways. Very gracious at that company. They're not in existence anymore, but I was very grateful that they were, had much honor at that moment. But anyways, I called this place. It was a long-distance call back at that, in those days, okay, to find out, to make sure that that was supposed to be valid. So I had to call early in the morning um, to, in order to talk to these people. And so I talked to the wife, and she said, um, well, yeah, actually, it, it was intended. The, um, her father had died and given somewhat of an inheritance, and they had been praying about what God would have them do with it. God impressed upon their heart, and then she quoted my prayer from the day before. Verbatim. She quoted my prayer. She didn't know my prayer. We hadn't talked about it. I hadn't told her I'd been praying about this. I just wanted to make sure that it was... She quoted my prayer. The check was sold, or sold, (laughs) sent. The check was sent at least a week earlier than I actually prayed. Does that give you tingles? My God, and I can tell you numerous stories, numerous stories. God told me when I started this church, I don't need to give you money. I just told you I'd meet your needs. And I could go on and on and on how God has met my needs. How he gave a pediatrician to meet our needs. He gave us a family doctor. He called, had a dentist. Doesn't go to this church, whatever. Out of the blue, calls us up and says, Hey, God put upon my, my wife and my heart that we ought to give free dental care to, to someone. And he put your family 
on our heart. Would you mind taking free dental care? Do you know I got seven kids? They were all little. Twice a year. Including Marsh and I. That's what, 16 visits? No, I'm sorry. I didn't mess that up. 18 visits. And I mean, I could go on and on and on what God did and has done for me by faith. And I'm not bragging on myself. I don't really mean it. I'm bragging on my God. But if you don't believe he can do it, you'll never see it. You won't see it. But I know he's bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla and the monsters on TV. He can provide for me. He can protect me. He can guide me. He can instruct me. He can lead me. He can spank me. Better than anybody else ever could. And he does. And he has. But do you believe it? Or do you just mouth it? Daniel believed it. God answered his prayer of faith. And he woke up. And he knew. Think about it. I don't know how he knew. He knew. He knew. He got the dream. God did God come in and say, Daniel, by the way, this dream you want to remember. This is the dream. I don't know how it happened, but he knew. He woke up praising God. I don't know if he woke up for me, it would be praising God, saying, God, help me remember this later on this morning. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, but he woke up and and he instantly wants to go see the king. He goes see Arioch. Arioch takes him before the king, right? He says, this guy says he knows it, right? And he comes in, and this is very profound to me, and I turned away from Daniel, so now I've got to go back and find it again, okay? Well, I guess I could turn my paper over because I have that right there. But we'll go to it. Daniel. He's after Ezekiel. In Daniel chapter 2, right? I just love this passage. Therefore, beginning in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Isn't that kind of cool? What's his first thought? Everybody else. I mean, he could say, wipe them out. He didn't give it to them. Stop destroying the wise men of Babylon. He, and he went and said, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, <laughs> I have found a man of the captives of Judah, yeah, yeah, yeah. who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Understand the eternal pause of the moment. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secret. And he has made known to the king of Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Do you remember when Joseph went before Pharaoh? Can you do this? No, I can't. But there's a God in heaven who can. And he reveals the secrets. That's the same humility that Daniel had. It's not me, O king. No man can do it. Remember what they said to you? That no one's able to do it? That's a true statement. 
But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he's revealed them to you, O king. Think, think about this. What great politics. Great way of... Think about it. And he's revealed them to you, O king. I'm nobody. I'm just a what? A messenger. I'm just a servant. And God has sent me to interpret your dreams. But you, O king, are the one he gave the dream to. He didn't give me the dream. He only gave me the dream so I could let you know the interpretation. Because he wants you to know what's going to happen in the, the latter times. There's a, a polite and proper way of being able to declare things and share things. But it begins with a humble heart. And so, Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim each his own chesed. You know I love the word chesed, but it's used negatively here. Each will proclaim his own loving faithfulness. But who can find a faithful man in a moon man? One who is faithful to Yahweh. Isn't it amazing how we want to declare and take the credit and the glory from God? Again, it's what God has done, not what we do. It's what God does through us. Habakkuk 2.4 says, The proud, behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his what? Faith. Is that an important verse? Have you heard that any other place? Romans, Romans 1. It's the very beginning of Paul's uh, theological treatise to the Romans. The just shall live by faith. It is that which Martin Luther had as his mantra, which changed him, transformed him, and began the Reformation in Germany. The just shall live by faith, not by, by their works. Good job, you're German. That's right, you got it. That's right. I'm a Lutheran, I get it. Yeah. But note the contrast of Habakkuk. We don't read the first part of it. The proud, his soul was not upright in him. Because it's always thinking about who? Himself. Himself. But the just, the righteous, the ones who are looking to God, will live by faith. Not faith in their own abilities. Faith in the abilities of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. The life that I live right now has to be a life of faith. Humble, contrite faith. That I am nothing. I am nothing. Marsh and I tuned into a, a church service many, many years ago, previous church. Um, Jessica was working at um, Partridge Inn, and they gave her a night or two stay, but she wasn't going to use it, you know. So she gave it to us, and so we did a, a, a weekend getaway. We just didn't tell people we weren't getting away. We were staying in locally, so everybody thought we were way away. And again, it wasn't the days of cell phones, so they just thought we were way away, but we were right in town. And we didn't really have TV, watch TV a whole lot. So there was a TV there. So we thought, well, let's stream through, see if there's anything on, you know, because I got cable, you know, see if there's anything we find. We found a church service. Oh, this is really kind of cool. We've got right at the beginning of it. And they stand up and they begin to declare all these I am's. 
I am this, I am this, I am this, I am this. And I thought to myself, wow. They never said I'm nothing. I'm a worm. I'm a sinner saved by grace. It was all this how important they were. I am this, I am this. That's taking the glory from the royal I am. Do you get it? If you want to do an I am, I'm a worm. I am a sinner who is decadent and is deserving of hellfire and separation from God forever and ever if it were not for the grace of my loving God. Do you get it? Then afterwards I found out what happens. And this guy was Joel Osteen, by the way. And, um, and he quoted a verse. And he quoted a verse from Psalms on meditation closed it and then began to teach some Eastern mysticism about how meditation was emptying your mind and it's another story. Anyways, I just couldn't believe this. I never heard of Joe Wallstein before. I did then. I was like, okay, that's going off. I mean, he was selling tickets for Philadelphia. He was going to be going to Philadelphia and you could buy the tickets to go see him. And I'm thinking, what happened to freely receive, freely give? I'm going to, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to go and you, charge you to come see me. Uh, whatever. Sorry. That's a tangent. Anyways, humility. The first thing you've got to understand, Daniel understood. He was nobody. But then, in the end, he gets honored from the king. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. But now I want to go to the last couple of verses, the part that Chuck didn't read. Because this is the end of the story. Not the rest of the story, but the end of the story. We'll do the proverbial um, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, next week, okay? Beginning of verse 46, chapter 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel. Can you picture this? I mean, this is kind of like Joseph and Pharaoh again. Who was Joseph? He was a prisoner slave. I mean, put them both together. He was a Hebrew prisoner, slave. I mean, it couldn't get any worse. Who's Daniel? He's a Hebrew prisoner, slave. You get it? Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. What's he wanting to do at this moment? Worship him. (laughs) Because his guys, his trusted advisors had already told him what? No man can do it. Only the gods can do this, and they don't come in the flesh. So what just happened? They came in the flesh. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon over all those Chaldeans. Just so you, if you want to understand what that means, the province of Chaldea, Babylon's in it, right? So he's over that entire province, right? And the chief administrator over all the wise men, the wise individuals of Babylon. And Daniel then petitioned the king. And he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. How cool is that? 
All because Daniel believed that God was able to do exceeding abundantly. Think about it, if he just accepted his fate at that very moment. Now, I want you to understand, he didn't rebel at that moment. He didn't rise up, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they started a rebellion, and they, they went out, and they beat up the, the guards, and they got their weapons, and they, they, they started a revolt. They, op- they opened up the doors for all the other servants, and there was, a, there, was a, there was a slave rebellion. It didn't happen that way. It's just like what happened when they went to do the food. Give us 10 days and see what God can do. But at the end of the 10 days, as we talked about last week, right? What's going to happen if God doesn't do it? They're becoming defiled. At the end of 24 hours now, what's going to happen? You're going to be dead. So, how would you describe your belief in the abilities of God? Do you really believe that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ever ask or think? Or do you limit God by your limited faith? I mean that. That's a hard statement. I've meditated on that a lot. Because I ask it myself. I and mean, I can tell you a lot of stories of how God has shown himself faithful to me. But there's a lot of times I've asked myself the same question. Have I not seen God work? Because I limit him in that moment and said, well, no, he, he might be able to do this, but he's not going to do that for me. Do you tend to seek glory for yourself or do you talk about God or what, talk about what God has done? When you relate to stories, is it all about you? Or is it about what God did for you? What impact is your faith having on those around you? I hope that becomes a mantra over these next couple of weeks. What impact is your faith having on those around you? And finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think, and that you want to accomplish these awesome and mighty things through your children. I'm not able to do these things, but you are. And so, Lord, I believe that if you want me to say to a mountain, be moved and cast into a sea, that it would be done. I believe by faith, Lord, that you can do whatever you choose to accomplish through me or through this body of believers or through any one of these individuals that who believe in you. Lord, give us the faith of a mustard seed. Give us the faith of a, of a giant rock. Lord, give us the faith of Mount Everest that we would believe that you want to do these things. Whatever it is, I I don't know what it is that you want to accomplish through others. But God, I pray that even as um, Chuck and David and Steve and I go away in a week and a half, Lord, that already you'll be working in us in what you want to accomplish through this assembly. You've done mighty works through us already. And for that, we give you praise. But God, I don't want it to be about us. I want it to be about you. And so I ask, Lord, what is it that you want to accomplish through us that you might receive the glory in the praise? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.